This podcast is brought to you by Shout Engine. In less than five minutes, you can start your own podcast for free with ShoutEngine.com. You ever wrap up with an episode of Hooniverse and then just go, damn it, I need more content. I need two guys talking about cars, saying ridiculous things and insightful things on occasion. But, you know, at a rate of more insight to ridiculous than maybe Jeff and Chris produce. Well, you're in luck. There's Unnamed Automotive Podcast with hosts Sammy Hajasad and Benjamin Honey. Sammy's from AutoGuide. Benjamin, he's a freelancer. He used to work with Jeff. They're buddies. That's all you need to know on that front. He's awesome. So these guys, they travel around. They do the journalist thing. They review cars. They check out old stuff. They tell you what's cool, what's weird. They throw out their opinion on just about everything. It's Unnamed Automotive Podcast. On the plus side, beyond all that other good stuff, Sammy sounds kind of like Eugene Merman, and if you know who that is, you'll appreciate this reference. And if you don't, don't worry about it. Either way, check out Unnamed Automotive Podcast. They're on iTunes, they're on Google, they're wherever the hell you want your podcasts, because they're Unnamed Automotive Podcast. Check them out. Live from SEMA 2018 once again, it is uh, the Hooniverse Podcast, and uh, we are uh, broadcasting from MagnaFlow, our gracious hosts, and we got to thank them many times over, and uh, of course our contact over there, Rich Waitis, who is a living saint. Uh, and today, we've got Dan Sandberg, the CEO of uh, Brembo North America. Is that the correct title, or is it? Good enough for me. Close enough? Good enough. Okay. Yeah. So uh, this has become a little bit of a tradition. We've done this, I think this is the third year we've done this now. It is, it is. Uh, so... How the hell are things going at Brembo these days? Uh, things are going great. Um, I, I see you've picked up a few OEM contracts. You know, um, the business is growing, and it's growing uh, in proportion to the way the industry has. I, I think back uh, 10 or 11 years ago when I joined Brembo and mm -hmm. uh, where the business was, where the industry was, and a lot has changed. Uh, and you've seen tremendous growth in the business. Uh, I've seen uh, the OEs, our original equipment you know, customers, do some really spectacular things from a product standpoint, and it's good to see those guys thinking about product rather than just product cost. Yeah, that's a big difference in the industry now because, I mean, it used to be, it wasn't even that long ago, 15 years ago, and you get whatever whatever the line item lowest price was on brakes on pretty much every performance car. Yeah. Uh, it's been a nice little difference. So are you guys, um, it, so the braking business has been really good. How has the how has all I, I, like you do some of the um, so the uh, uprights on a on a few different cars, correct? We do some uh, uh, knuckles and things like that, uh, but again, it's not a big part of our business. It really is uh, uh, kind of an enhancement to some of our foundries where we have aluminum capacity open, yep. and we're uh, manufacturing some knuckles uh, mostly in Europe. We really don't do much here in the states. Okay, and then you guys have foundries in Detroit too, right? We have uh, foundries uh, here in North America. We have two brand-new iron foundries, believe it or not, oh. that we uh, built to make our castings for the rotors that we sell here in North America. So we're pretty much, I'd say, 70% vertically integrated. I guess given the weight of rotors, it really wouldn't make much sense to ship those things around the world, would it? 
Uh, it doesn't, and we didn't before. I mean, we really had uh, pretty good outside suppliers, uh, you know, in North America that mm-hmm. were making the castings for us. But we got to a size state where we started looking at our, our portfolio and also the need for proprietary uh, metallurgy for those castings. Yeah. And we said, you know, maybe we should bring some of that production in-house and start doing it on our Keep own. Keep the secret sauce internal. Yeah. And, you know, and to be honest with you, we've been vertically integrating slowly throughout the world for the 10 years before Brembo really made its entry into the U.S., when they came to the U.S., we waited a few years, and then we grew the business substantially. And uh, here we are with uh, really a fu- almost a fully vertic- vertically integrated uh, rotor business unit. So and these foundries it- are special. Yeah. Um, they're state-of-the-art. They're not what you would consider a foundry, you know, black, dark, dingy. Uh, they're very, very clean. Sometimes you can't even tell they're operating. Uh, and uh, they're made specifically for the products we make. And that's important because we're not filling it with, you know, I don't know, uh, you know, HVAC products and everything else. Yeah. Kind of, you know, so we have very consistent process, very, very good quality control process. Uh, and uh, we're making only, as I said, rotors in these plants. And the quality is great and the cost is great. So we're be highly competitive. So that's, and of course, that's the traditional iron rotor setup. How does, what's the manufacturing process look like uh, at scale for somebody that's doing a, a carbon rotor setup? Well, carbon is a, an animal, you know, people always wonder why does carbon cost so much, right? You know, you yeah. carbon ceramic rotors, you're looking anywhere from five to $20,000 for a, for a four-corner package. And, you know, those rotors uh, have a life of their own. I mean, some of them take months to manufacture. Yeah. So it's a baking process, basically. It's a mixing and baking process. And it's under tremendous pressure as well, right? Correct, correct. Yeah. So very, very specialized equipment. You don't have a lot of capacity out there for that. It's very, very proprietary uh, in what we're doing. And uh, obviously, you get a tremendous product. Now, there's nothing better than uh, carbon-carbon or carbon-ceramic brakes. Yeah. Well, that I mean, they're fantastic. And But the interesting thing is, is we get people that ask questions on the show and stuff. And it's like, should I get the carbon option? Should I get the carbon option? My answer would be yes. Yeah. If, yeah. You, if you can I mean, swing it, by all means. Yeah. And I mean, you know, you see, I never thought I'd be sitting up on a stage talking about carbon ceramic brakes being uh, affordable. But, you know, you take a look at a, a Chevy Corvette. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you can get a nice carbon ceramic package there for well under $10,000. I think actually the package is, uh, I don't know, Daniele, the package is like uh, for carbon for Corvette is a uh, $5,000, $6,000 package, but you get a whole bunch of extra uh, bells and whistles that they well, throw in. Well, I mean, in. You're, you're paying pretty close to that price for a conventional package anyway. Well, I mean, that's, there you go. That's not bad at all. So, so as far as the aftermarket stuff goes right now, what are kind of the what are the biggest things that you guys are moving? Well, the aftermarket uh, is kind of a highlight. If you go over to our booth today, you can see a new BM6 caliper for us. Mm-hmm. It's a six-piston caliper uh, that we've built uh, for kits for cars. Uh, we've had that before, but this is really going to set a new standard. The carbon, uh, I mean, carbon, you got me on this carbon kick. Why did you do that? Anyway, this uh, caliper is set up uh, to be very, very flexible for a number of different applications, uh, and the rotors that it can handle can be very, very large, and not only large, but wide, yeah. so the diameter. And that the width has been a big factor for us, uh, a, big, a big problem for us in some of our kits, because we're getting some very, very nice high-performance vehicles now. You need a thicker rotor. Uh, and we've had some issues in trying to adapt our current uh, kits to that. So this is a, this caliper is a very strange-looking caliper. Uh, yeah, I looked at tradition. it. It's, it's got all kinds of knobs on it, and it's like, you know, 
Like, Knobs isn't the right words, but you know these bumps on the back of it and everything. It's it's a radical looking rotor. It's very very cool looking. It looks even better on the car when you first see it. You know, I've heard people say it looks like it's made out of marshmallows. Uh, it looks like it's carved out of play-doh, and actually. Uh, maybe the Play-Doh analogy is probably the closest. It's, we I use a that. thing called 4D technology, which is an analysis tool. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to optimize the caliper to be as lightweight as possible, yep. but put the metal where it needs to be and take it out where it doesn't need to be. So you'll see there's a lot of voids in it. There's a lot of uh, uh, ridges, if mm -hmm. you will. Not even ridges. I would say curves and whatever in the, in, in the caliper. And it looks really cool. I mean, I'm kind of surprised we haven't gotten to the point where we're starting to see, like, heat sink fins built into the calipers. Yeah, I mean, you know, in a way, you know, with aluminum, first of all, you get great heat dissipation to mm -hmm. begin with. Um, so you don't really need that as much. But what you have, really, in this caliper is there's a lot of open air in it. You see it, right? I mean, you yeah. see a lot of open spaces. Um, but at the same time, it's probably one of the stiffest calipers we've ever made, which is a... You know, to be honest with you, that's a really great engineering feat. It's got three bridges that are actually specifically placed in the caliper to make it the most stiff of, of, of a lot of the calipers we've, we, we've built. Yeah, and it's not like your other ones were wanting for stiffness already. Yep. And, you know, a couple other things we did. We built in, uh, for those who are, uh, you know, putting those calipers in, they'll appreciate. Uh, we have one bleed screw uh, to, oh, to, to yeah. actually bleed the caliper instead of multiple uh, and also it's placed in a location, which I think is pretty easy to get to, makes it very easy to get in, get out, uh, and get your calipers What about up. pad changes? Is it just the normal couple, knock a couple pins out? and uh, It's a little more complicated, but, yeah, it's not bad. It's not really bad to change the pads on these. Yeah, that's the one thing I'll say about, like, and, you know, shameless ass kissing aside, uh, that's the one thing I like about working on your stuff is that, for the most part, pad changes are pretty easy across everything in the lineup. Versus the other ones where you end up pulling the bolt out of the top of the caliper, flipping it over, doing all that. You know? No, there, it's it's almost as easy as doing what you said, is pulling the pulling the pins and going. But uh, you know, we've gotten a lot of good uh, feedback from it so far. It comes in a lot of great colors, which is yeah, you know, they're let's very not bright. The aesthetics. Uh, we have that fluorescent yellow, which uh, I can remember maybe three or four years ago. I think I saw the first car with that. It was like a Subaru. What was it in the thing in the Detroit Auto Show? It was like a Subaru something or other. And I think that the 918 it. came with a very similar kind of shade on it. Because Porsche uses it for anything with a hybrid, you know, type oh, uh, right. uh, you know, um, powertrain. So, uh, you know, I have it in my 911. Mm -hmm. I, I actually got uh, company benefits. I got uh, a fluorescent yellow calipers on that to swap out. I tell people my 911 is a hybrid, <laughs> and that seems to get some good reactions. And it'll be a reality in a couple of years anyway. Uh, it will. It will. But uh, we'll yeah. see that Taycan very soon. So yeah, uh, I can't tell if it's Taycan or Taycan. I think it to me it sounds like Taycan sounds more Porsche-ish. Um, I don't know. I it's spelled Taycan, isn't it? Taycan. T a y c a n. Yeah. Taycan. What do yeah. you think? What do you think? Taycan. We're all, everybody out there shaking their head. I don't know. Okay, so it's going to be cool though. I mean, I really think. Uh, uh, I, I I think it's it's going to be a Porsche, which yeah. you know what that means. Uh, and I think it's going to be a really cool car. Yeah, I just so. I just bought my first Porsche a couple of months ago. So congratulations! Thank you. Yeah, I bought a used Macan. Welcome to the club. Did you uh, yes. join the Porsche Club of America? No, I did not. Uh, you know, that's one of those things where it's just like uh, I don't know if I'll ever do that. I just want to go out and do my own thing. I don't know that I need the club along with it.
Are you a Porsche Club guy? I am. I okay. am. I, we join I mean, and we go to the me. drives. We go, we go just to the drives, and uh, it's fun meeting the people. And, you know, a lot of the stories you hear. Um, and to be honest with you, I go because I want to see the cars. I did a color tour a couple weeks ago that we went out on, and um, there must have been 60 Porsches. Okay. And it was, it was cool. I mean, to see 60 Porsches lined up in a beautiful fall day. Um, well, I see. I mean, I see the Porsche Club up in Malibu all the time. Go out there on on Sunday or something in one of my other cars and just you know zipping up and down the uh, canyons, and it's just like, oh, well, there goes eighty Porsches in a row. Okay, so must be the club. You know, it's probably more common in California than it is to see in in Michigan. At uh, the end yes. Of the day. Uh, I'd say I call the uh, the nine eleven the uh, Los Angeles Camry. Uh, they're just everywhere. <laughs> so, my point taken. You know, yeah, uh, they're kind of everywhere. But um, yeah, so you would actually just—you'd only just had your, uh, your your turbo for a few months uh, when we spoke last year. Uh, so you put the, obviously you guys put you put your brake package on it. Did you end up playing with anything else on it yet? Uh, I have not done anything else. We just changed the color of the uh, uh, changed the color of the pads. I mean of the uh, calipers, and then uh, burnished the pads, which was quite fun. Yeah. And then we went on with life. Yeah. Great car. It's a fantastic car. I, I just uh, It doesn't need to be messed with, but it's one of those ones it, it can be fun to do so. It's just an aesthetic thing for me. I want it to be unique. Oh, so. yeah. I mean, yeah. It's that and the bright green calipers on there. So you'd appreciate this, though. The license plate is brake hard. Oh, yeah. That, of course it is. That's correct. Of course it is. Okay, so you've got those new calipers that have come in. Is there anything like in an OEM application that's starting to get close to that new product offering there? Well, you know, the uh, GM has done a really super job, I feel, of trying to get uh, Brembo brakes in the hands of the consumer. I mm-hmm. mean, the, uh, uh, and I think it's both a need issue uh, and it's also a, uh, uh, an issue of uh, uh, aesthetics. Uh, and I think you got these, you know, there's obviously a big shift going on, right, from cars to SUVs and yeah. trucks. And, of course, uh, I think there's also a shift that I see of pickups themselves. You're seeing pickups, which used to be kind of the contractor's uh, transportation, is is now a luxury or performance vehicle. I well, mean, and their price is such as well. Yeah, I, they're fantastic cars. I mean, they're they're, uh, you know, I mean, they're very very uh, practical from a, I don't know, from a contracting standpoint. But they're also a family vehicle. You know, some of them are even more comfortable on the interiors than you see in any of the cars that have been built. Yeah, I mean, um, it's, like, it's like the extended cab now is with, like, the crew, you know, the big big crew cab used to be, and it's just like, you know, you basically got an SUV with a bed at that point. Yeah, well, you know, and but but you look at the car, right, so you got huge wheels. Now, that to me, all, you know, screams Brembo. Yeah. So you have giant wheels, and you have this uh, situation where um, you're also hauling a lot of product in those. Uh, and most of the guys I know who have pickups, or even large SUVs, to be honest with you, you know, one of their complaints is if you load it up, either with people or cargo, that the brakes are, you know, you can feel it. You know, yeah. it feels like especially you're on the gas trucks. The diesels can get away with a little more with the with the exhaust brakes on them, but yep. Uh, yep. you know, the gas trucks, yeah, people way overload them. So here's a situation where you have a aesthetic need and you have a functional need, and uh, Brembo really fits the bill. And and right now, GM is offering uh, a new kit that we put together for them. And uh, you can see it here at the show on the Chevrolet Silverado, the, the High Country LTZ, mm-hmm. and there's a specialized RST uh, street concept that they have here. Also, okay. all of those uh, you'll see Brembo uh, on. And it's, it's 
to me, they're beautiful, right? You got anywhere from a six-piston to eight-piston packages on You're these cars. You're doing eight-piston packages well, now? Well, you know, we have the BM8, which if you remember, we introduced a couple years ago here yeah. at SEMA. Um, took us a little while to get that into full production, but you're now seeing some great SUVs and pickups here in the show with eight-piston calipers uh, along with, uh, as I said, this kit that GM has, which is a beautiful six-piston kit that goes on these vehicles. Yeah, it's uh, that's a big-ass caliper, eight-pistons. That's going to take up almost half the rotor. Well, you know, that's kind of the idea, right? You want a lot of surface yeah. area. Uh, and it's they're they're beautiful. Um, and again, the BM8 looks a lot like the BM6, just bigger. Yeah. Uh, and they're great looking calipers. What does uh, a caliper that big like come in at weight wise? That's a good question. Uh, it's not necessarily BM8. You know what the weight of that is? It's lighter than an iron caliper. Yeah. Yeah, so, it will be. So no, I mean they're look they're handleable, um, but. Uh, Again, the performance is really great, and they, you know, to me, the aesthetics is fantastic. Uh, yeah, it's um, it's a big upgrade from just the slab of iron that usually is on most trucks. So, um, so you've had a longstanding tradition of doing the uh, internal podcast. Are you yeah. still doing that? Still doing the internal podcast, and I fight the battle that you fight every day, right? Content, content, content. Oh yeah, looking for the right uh, uh, people. But you know, we have uh, luckily we have a nice expanding customer base. Uh, and also uh, the racing field. You know, racing is very, very popular here. And even in the lower to mid-series, seems mm-hmm. to be growing and growing. So we're doing a lot of interviews with uh, customers. As you know, we try to get customers to uh, to come and do the podcast. And uh, so our engineers can hear from our customers what they like, what they don't like about their brakes, and where we can improve, you know, our product. So still very, very successful. And we're thinking that we may even do a public podcast where we put it on our uh, our website and our social media. There seems well, to be some uh, some interest in doing that. I don't know if we I, will I or not. I may or may not own a big automotive podcast hosting provider, so we might be able to help you with that. There we go. So There we go. It's almost like we've been doing that for a number of years or something. People throwing things at you. Oh, no. That's that's just my good friend Larry Casilla. He owns uh, Ammo Auto Care, if you've ever heard of them. he's Yeah. He's kind of a big deal for the detailing guys. So right. doing things like detailing Air Force 2. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. Uh, but... Uh, yeah, so otherwise, we're back at SEMA here. Um, how much time do you actually get to go around and, like, do you ever really get to go around and kind of look at stuff and kind of see where the market's going? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, usually uh, beginning of, like, the first day today, for the first half of the day, I get to go around and see what's, you know, what I can see right offhand that's interesting. And the one thing I noticed in this, I don't know if you noticed it, a lot of trucks, more trucks than I've ever seen yeah. uh, in this show, uh, along with a lot of, I mean, there's always a lot of juiced-up pickups and, you know, you know, stuff that's well, riding I mean, high. They're doing eighty-four month financing deals on these on these big ass trucks now. So it's just like, oh well, I can get a giant truck and keep it a low payment. You know, so I mean, moving a lot of them, just a lot of SUVs and stuff. And then uh, um, some of the apocalyptic stuff that we saw out in the parking lot in the back, I thought was kind of yeah bizarre. Um, but I'll do that the first day, and then the next two or three days is really more work, more interviews, more stuff like that. Uh, and then on uh, Thursday and Friday, I hope to get out and take a take a much better look at the show and see what's going on. Yeah, I, I would have to assume that there's some importance for it just for you guys to kind of gauge what the competitors are doing and, and be able to just get some a little bit of market research and maybe maybe read the tea leaves of where you might want to be spending some R&D yeah, dollars. You know, we like, and we also like spending some time. Some of our customers are obviously here, uh, and we like walking with them around the show and see what they kind of like and don't like. You know, it kind of reminds me of... Uh, 
Um, you know, and I built a house a number of years ago. You know, my builder took me around and showed me other houses and didn't say really anything. He right. just kind of walked around and saw what we liked, and then uh, then he designed the house, and that's, you know, it had most of the stuff that we liked, surprisingly. So it's good to talk to your customers and see what they like and don't like because it's hard to sell them stuff that they really don't like. Okay, so moving on kind of to consumer applications and, like, what kind of what, – what would you suggest people do in terms of going from a basic OEM application, wanting to get into, like, a basic track car? Do you have any advice on kind of growing into that? You know, we offer a, a very interesting setup. So, you know, you can go, first of all, and, and start looking at replacements. So I'd say that, you know, first step is take a look at what you have and then maybe – take a look at the aftermarket products we offer, just our straight aftermarket. Mm -hmm. We offer a pretty interesting uh, rotor called the Extra Rotor, which is uh, similar to what we used to offer uh, as kind of a uh, uh, an upgrade on the racing side. But the Extra Rotor is a slotted or a drilled rotor mm -hmm. uh, with some special coating on it. Uh, it has a little bit more longevity and a little bit more staying power on the track. I probably say for kind of an amateur track day if you want. Well, to I think that encompasses, out. you know, probably 90% of our listeners that actually go out and do track stuff. There's very few, obviously, there's very few serious, serious track people because it's an expensive hobby. Uh, well, and you can do that. So you can look at the aftermarket, which is almost a one-for-one -one replacement, you know, using the extra. So it's the uh, same rotor you have now, but it's uh, coated, has, a, you know, has drilling and slotting on it. Uh, and it performs a lot better. What does the coating actually do on those? Uh, just corrosion protection okay. gives it a little bit better, uh, uh, you know, uh, protection in the elements, uh, and hopefully gives you a little bit more longevity uh, on the rotor itself. But you know, obviously, track is going to eat into everything you have anyway. Well, track so. just kills parts. That's, yeah, that's so what that, happens. So the next step after that is you want to take a look at probably one of our kits. Uh, and we have, uh, you know, kits for guys who are racing with a number and kits that are racing without a number. Yeah. Uh, and um, the kits get more and more uh, professional as you move up, but you can change your caliper then. Probably would also change your rotor to maybe a two-piece, something like that. Uh, and, um, again, uh, you know, Brembo offers a full lineup for most of the cars that I think your listeners might be you know, might be racing. Yeah, if they a, come you know, to us and say, you know, I got a Toyota Camry and I want to go race that car, we're not going to. No, we're not the answer is anything. why. Do you love understeer? You know, just never know, you know. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, we get all kinds of oddball stuff that comes along. You know, I've seen some, some absolutely insane builds with, uh, you know, things like old Suzuki's and stuff like that. And it's just like, well, okay, if you want to do it, you can, you can make anything work, but it's, you know, questionable whether you should. But, uh, but then, you know, if they want to move to more of a professional package, uh, you know, we offer that service and ability. Uh, we have an uh, exclusive importer here in the United States, Race Technologies, who is affiliated with a number of different car builders here in the States. So if they have a car builder, if you will, probably are familiar with Race Technologies, or they can call Race Technologies directly uh, in California or in North Carolina uh, and talk about uh, their needs uh, from a professional racing standpoint. And as I said, we offer a tremendous package and tremendous service to help uh, start up uh, racing teams get up and running and get them the right package. Now, if you get a uh, if you swap out to a two piece rotor, um, what's the process like to actually get the uh, get the additional um, the replacement rotors in and everything? How long does that usually take for like a private? You know, it depends. We have quite a few of the packages in stock. Uh, but it can take up to two, three months, depending on what they're asking for. And again, there's a certain, that's why you got to go to Race Tech and, and get some help from a technical standpoint, 
you know, they're familiar with the appropriate brackets and things that you need for the calipers uh, and the rotor packages that we have. So, in other words, plan accordingly for track season. Uh, yes, you do not want to do it like the day before. Call up and see if you can swap them out. <laughs> it's not going to work. Although I'm sure you still get the calls. Uh, we do. Yeah, we so, do. Um, other than those uh, those new rotors that we discussed before, is there anything else that you guys are really trying to showcase this week? How about uh, something called Be Quiet? Okay. So yeah, if I, I don't know if the product's all that great, I, I'm sure it's great, you know. But the name is really cool. Yeah. So Be Quiet is a new lubrication, uh, you know, lubricant that we're using uh, uh, and, and offering uh, in the aftermarket, uh, and it's specially formulated to lubricate certain parts of the brake system, pads, and certain components and really quiets that brake system down. Because, you know, we as Americans, not so much in Europe, but here in America, we put a brake system on our car, we want it to be quiet. Yeah. So, you know, I think uh, sometimes that gets tougher and tougher as you move up the performance chain. Yeah. Uh, well, and, and back to uh, carbon, some, I mean, just inherently with certain setups. It does. It does. But I'll tell you, my, you know, my beast doesn't scream that much with the carbon ceramic on it. I, I would expect it to be dead silent, given that you are the person in charge of ultimately whip well, those engineers into shape and go, hey, guys, my uh, 911's squeaking a little bit. Well, I would hope that's the case. But, <laughs> you know, so far, so good. That's yeah. all I can say. Yeah. So, I mean, the Be Quiet stuff is really good. And then um, we're offering an even better lubricant uh, called Shut Up. Okay. Which is, uh, I'm just kidding. You. Never ah, okay. We don't have it. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's funny. Like, people always neglect to actually put that little bit of lube on the back of the pads and things like that and don't realize that. That's where a lot of that noise is coming from. Well, you know, and from an aftermarket standpoint, it's easy, uh, uh, it's easy to buy. And, uh, you know, you apply it. If you have a really problem brake system, mm-hmm. you know, you can apply that thing almost yearly and, and, and be okay. And that's uh, so you guys are marketing that as an entire separate product line from, yes, from our aftermarket okay. and uh, easily made. Uh, and then uh, we have a new set of low-met brake pads. We started, we introduced brake pads here in the U.S. probably five years ago or so. Uh, really nice-looking brake pads, of mm-hmm. course. They have the red backing plate, which looks really nice. But we now have a bunch of uh, low-met pads, uh, which are uh, uh, nice performers uh, and are, um, you know, 10 to 50% metal by weight, you know, creating a great performance brake pad. You know, another example where, you know, again, you can change your rotors out, mm-hmm. maybe then want to change your pad to a low-met pad, give you better friction. Uh, as again, again, trying to build that progression of moving to a racing package well, I mean, on your car. Changing to a better rotor and a better pad, just, you know, if you're just starting out, it can make all the difference in the world. Uh, it makes a lot of difference, and I think it gives people a better appreciation of what the brakes are all about racing. Yeah. You know, it's not just about stopping. It's about control of the vehicle uh, and being able to go into that corner and not have, you know, the brakes start taking, taking control of how your car is either moving from the rear or moving from the front. Right. right. Well, in an OEM application, is their goals are different from selling a car to the general public than what it might be for an enthusiast application, too, on those kind of fronts. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you can't go and sell a new Corvette with super squealy, aggressive brake pads on it because everybody goes, well, what the hell's wrong with it? But if you're going to take it to the track, you get a little more aggressive. Well, and also, I think some of the people take a OE pad, you know, to the track, uh, and yeah. they don't have much of an OE pad left after yeah. the track. Yeah. So, um you know, one thing I think, if you're going to be racing, you know, or taking your car to a track day, you need to be more conscious of what you're doing from a brake standpoint. Um, Tires and brakes, man. Tires and brakes. It's where the where all the excitement happens. It, I always laugh at people that just build these massive motors and they never touch their suspension, they never touch their brakes, they never touch their tires. 
And then it's just like, well, you can't do much with that engine if you can't stop or turn. It's, you know, it's important. And I think, um, obviously, we don't talk much about tires but because uh, we don't make tires. But, but uh, that's another factor. I think it's, it's something they ought to look at. So, you know, to me, if you're going to take a car and start racing it, you better look at the tires, start looking at the rotors, pads, and then probably move to the calipers next. Um, but have fun at all times, yeah. So it sounds like you probably spent a few years uh, playing around on the track. Um, more in this job, you know. I mean, this job's been a, a, a lot of fun, and, um, you know, it's great selling a, a really strong product, uh, but it's also fun going to the track and actually seeing what that product can do. I yeah. mean, it's, uh, you know, when you when you are out on track, I mean, one of the first kind of track days I went out on, believe it or not, was in a CTSV wagon. I love that car so okay. much. And um, everybody in automotive journalism loves that car to death. We all we all mourn its death. It is a you know now I've learned why, but it's it's it is a tremendously great balanced vehicle, you yeah. know, for the track and uh, seeing, you know, taking a car out going 140, 150 miles an hour into a turn and taking it for granted that your brakes are going to stop and take you around the corner is is something that you really appreciate. And people just didn't expect it of Cadillac at the time. I mean, obviously the the V the V name has caught up where people go, okay, that's real performance. But you know, we had that first gen CTSV, but that second one was such a huge bump up that I don't think anybody saw that coming that you could go that extreme with it. You know, and I I I really recommend. I mean, if if you really like driving, not just want to be a race car driver, but if you like driving and you really want to learn about what our you know the vehicles are that and what they're capable of, you know, spend a you know a few hundred bucks and go to one of these track schools. You yeah. know what I mean? And just do it. Spend a day, performance driving schools. I mean, BMW offers them, Porsche offers them, uh, uh, obviously Cadillac uh, offers yep. them. I mean, I think that it's a great experience. To, and you learn a lot about driving, you know, yeah. your reaction times and, and uh, uh, you know, what a car can do, what a car can't do, and how you should be driving and, and, and what you need to be looking for and, and see the full capabilities of the vehicles that we build all the time. It's, it's really, really something special. Yeah, I've got the, uh, the Porsche Experience Center in L.A. that's not that far from my house. And, uh, actually, Have you gone? Uh, I haven't. And the funny thing is, is uh, my friend Jen is actually responsible for building that and the Atlanta one. She she operates them and I still haven't made my uh, oh you know Jen, okay, yeah yeah and you know I'm you know they've invited me a couple times and I just have to find some time to do it you yes know? Jen's an old friend and uh, I unfortunately have not had a chance to get out there yet although I really should because I can get a day of track instruction with Macon for like I think it's a thousand dollars for a full day and it's you know I don't know I mean I think a lot of people think you got to go to the track got to be a professional. And uh, there's no reason to do it. I think uh, they'll tell you. They say the people who don't expect to have fun, like the maybe the spouse, you know, or the yeah. the kid who kind of comes along for the ride, enjoys it the most, and they can't believe how fun it is. I mean, it is a lot of fun. Well, I think it's maybe maybe it's a factor of like we're people that like cars, so we kind of expect some of the stuff. It's you know, people that have no idea whatsoever. They're like, holy shit, this can happen. Well, and, and I think people are intimidated. Right, you you know you have that kind of instruction that you take, and you you know you go through the class and they tell you what to do and don't do and don't drive the car into the the you know guardrails yeah. and all that other stuff and people Let people get, buy and people get yeah. kind of scared of that and um, it, it's nothing like that. I mean the cars are very very capable. The instructors are great, uh, and it's a great opportunity, as I said, to 
to, to learn about what a car can do and what it can't do. Yeah, an instructor will stop you long before you get in real trouble. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and means, you're not racing yeah. head-to-head with guys on either side of you. They're very careful about, you know, who's on the track and what the rules are and yeah. when you can pass and when you can't. And, uh, you know, they know this is, this is not their first rodeo. They know how to do it. Yeah, and then back to the Porsche Club. I mean, that's, that's one of their big things is the track days with the Porsche Club meet. So that, that one is a big benefit of being with them. Yep. Yeah, so it's good. I mean, if that's a great opportunity and you could do it cheaply, hey, do it. I don't know if I'd take my Porsche out on the track on track day, but well, I mean, you get a turbo. I've done a turbo on the track. It's it's a lot of fun. You know, I I the first car I drove was a GT3. You know, that was a Porsche. oh, you get spoiled. And uh, you know the the if you put the 911 in you know in uh, track mode, mm-hmm. it's very very similar to the Jeep. It acts and talks yeah. and, and, and does I, The thing, thing I like with the GT3, though, is you can just wind the hell out of them. They oh, just yeah. keep going and going oh, and going. It's an unbelievable car, and it's, um, you know, I, I think what enhanced it for me is I did it at night. I did it at night actually down the street here okay. at the track that's next door to the speedway here, the road track yeah, yeah, that's yeah. there. So, uh, Which is a great experience, by the way. If people haven't done that, you know, and come to Vegas. It's but that's just- another one that is... I don't know what is it, three hundred bucks or two hundred and fifty bucks. You can pick your car: yep. Lambo, Porsche, uh, CTSV. Um, they, they even have some Porsche SUVs, I think, there too. Yeah. And you can, I think, you're allowed six to ten laps or something like that around that track with a driver. Um, a lot of fun. Yeah, it's. I mean, people go, yeah, two or three hundred dollars, but it's just like you can blow through three hundred dollars in Vegas on far dumber things than that. Well, I, you know, and every time I come here and I lose money at the tables, I think, geez, I could have used that money to go to a show or go to the track or, heck, who knows, you know? Yeah, I mean, buy an Apple Watch, you know, whatever. Hey, I just got the new one myself. There we go. Like that? I love the thing. And the battery life on the new one's so much better. I had a first-gen one, and now I've got this one. I can go for two days on a charge now. You know, and you if you look at that, think about that. I mean, applying it to the automotive world, all right? You, I mean, I, my iPhone I have now, I have a 10. Mm-hmm. And that thing lasts uh, over a day. Uh, if you think, and that's got to be, I mean, I remember the iPhone batteries were lasting 20 minutes. Yeah. I mean, not 20 minutes, like, you know, 20%, 30% I, I, of the day, get yeah. through maybe 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, have to recharge. Now take that technology and put it into the hybrids that you're seeing. Yeah. You know, and now I just I, I just heard the other day uh, that uh, they were talking about hybrids. They say if you introduce a hybrid now and it doesn't have, uh, uh, you know, it doesn't have uh, capacity, to go over 220, 230 miles, don't even bother bringing it to market. Yeah. it's. Uh, I had the Chevy Bolt, I don't know, about a month and a half ago. I had that uh, as a press car for a week. It's, How did you like it? I Here's the thing. It's, it's a, you're paying for the drivetrain and the chassis on that car. The interior is a little cheap, but it was the perfect Los Angeles car. I mean, driving around, it used very little energy. Uh, I had the AC on the whole time, and when I gave it back to Page One Automotive, it still had like 80 miles of charge on it. Uh, the regen braking and the stop-and-go traffic really, really is easy on the batteries in those. But it's a great little car. And then my dad just bought a Volt, uh, brand-new Volt, like three weeks ago. Uh, and that thing's great, too. I mean, a little different goal on that car, but... Um, I, don't, I don't know how you drive in Los Angeles to begin with, though. Uh, well, you plan accordingly. I, you know... To me, I mean, we, we noticed it. For, we had a couple of events that Brembo had. I remember the movie Rush. Did you mm-hmm. go to that? Did you get invited to that? No, I didn't go to that. All right. Well, they had, we had this movie Rush, and we invited all these people all over L.A. It was a you know, great premiere of that movie. Uh, we had a lot of Brembo content in that. Uh, Ron Howard uh, 
came to us and asked us for uh, a lot of history and, you know, talked to some of our engineers who worked with Ferrari at that time. It was really interesting. Uh, but we invited all these guys, and I'd say 40% of them passed. And they're in. I said, well, oh, are you out of town? No, we're in town. I said, well, they said, no, it's, it's just, you know, it's in a bad part of town. I'd have to leave work at, like, noon. I yeah, mean, it's just how do you how do you live in that kind of environment? Uh, you know, it's just I, I make I make my plans accordingly and don't go out during the rush hour. You know, those the peak hours, you know, in the middle of the day, that's like from uh, 2 p.m. to 4 to 3 p.m. is not rush hour. So but you like to drive fast, don't you? I do. Well, then how can you drive in L.A.? Well, that's the beautiful thing is the Malibu canyons are where you go to do that. True. True. Uh, and that's some of the best driving in the world. All right. I'll give you that. Yeah. Have you have you done the Malibu Canyon too? Uh, no, I have not. I know what you're talking about, though. Okay. So, I mean, the uh, uh, I drive a lot with Laguna Seca. You know, when I come to Car Week and whatever, mm-hmm. you can drive around the back roads there. Those are great driving. So I'll tell you what. If you come to L.A. again, okay, let me know. All right. And uh, there's a certain few people I'll introduce you to. They can show you a good time in their Porsches around the canyons in L.A. Uh, funny guys, if you call what I mean. So fair uh, enough. All right. So. Uh, any final points we want to touch on before uh, before we look? I think up? we did. Okay. I think you know. I think uh, the auto industry right now is really uh, an exciting business to be in. You know, I think from the obviously you come here in the aftermarket and you see a lot of great things, but um, you know, from the electrification standpoint, uh, from the the product standpoint, it's really great seeing the products we're seeing. A lot of innovation, a lot of new technology in vehicles, uh, and I it's. It's not as easy, I think, as uh, a lot of people think. Uh, you know, technology is is a great thing, mm-hmm. but it'll be interesting to see what people accept in the cars and what they don't accept. You know? Well, and you guys are in a great position because you don't rely on the combustion engine to continue doing your business. You know, that's the way we look at it. Uh, whatever's going to be moving, it's going to need to be stopped. And, <laughs> uh, you know, heavy, light, uh, we, we know one thing. We think... We think those brake systems of the future are going to have to be lighter, uh, and they're going to have to be able to handle, uh, you know, electrification somehow. So we see the brake system becoming electrified. But at the end of the day, it's it's still going to need a brake, and uh, hopefully that'll well, be. Yeah, Rambo. Infinity's been doing that brake by wires, or Infinity I think did it, and then Accurate has it in the NSX. So that's a big difference. Still not totally uh, break by wire. I mean, we do think in the next ten to meh, you know, I don't know, ten to fifteen years, you'll see complete break by wire systems yeah. uh, enter the market. Do you mean having kind of the reservoirs actually at each corner, or you know, I think that's a transition point. Um, I think you're going to have uh, reservoirs and pumps, if you will, at first being electrified, which they have now in mm-hmm. some vehicles. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, you're going to have motors that will be applied electronically so you won't have any hydraulics it'll be strictly electric we think the systems will be uh, more responsive there's no doubt you know throwing a light switch it's kind of a bad analogy but throwing a light switch is a lot faster than pumping a pedal hey i you know i take the standpoint of if planes were able to do it cars should be able to do it well and i think that's you know the way they do it in a plane, you still have what three systems on a, a plane yeah to to stop the you know stop the plane but uh that's going to happen, and you may still have redundant systems of some sort. But I think that redundancy is going to be in dual electronics or, uh, you know, uh, you know, alternate battery, you know, pack or yep. something like that. Um, you know, the big issue, obviously, in a lot of these systems is the same question you have: you have four corners on the vehicle. Do you have four redundant systems, or do you have one redundant system, or do you have a combination? So maybe one redundant control unit, but multiple 
you know, receivers. Maybe or we start packing like parachutes on them too. Yeah, and then you get into a whole lot of the questions they have: is 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 it wired or wireless? You know, how how are those controls going to be handled? And uh, then you get into the whole privacy thing and everything else. It's going to make life interesting. Oh yeah, yeah. And my background is in software engineering and computer security, so the wireless thing scares the shit out of me, uh, and rightfully so. <laughs> Anybody who has a wireless anything knows that that's that's the case. It's so. always one of your weakest points in terms of security. So. Yeah. So. Um, but it's a fun, you know. I, look again. I think the, uh, uh, you know, I, I think when I, you know, back in 07, 08, 09, I was just telling people, I think we're living through history here, right? You know, I always used to talk to my grandfather about the depression and what was that was like, and I thought, wow, we we lived through it and we survived. Uh, but I think right now we're going through a technological revolution also oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, in the auto industry, and I think uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Well, it just seems like the car industry is starting to finally catch up with the consumer electronic industry as far as that stuff goes, because to be very blunt about it, a lot of the electronic systems were somewhat archaic compared to what was what was getting pumped out in consumer electronics, but now they're really, really starting to catch up. I Yeah, yeah I, I don't know if it's catch up or, uh, again, it's a, it's a move toward more innovation. Yeah. Uh, and it's definitely... You know, you have to look at the consumer and you kind of say to the consumer, you know, obviously the consumer wants change or they're accepting the change that they weren't happy with what they had before. Um, but don't, you know, from a, in my opinion, don't, you know, let's make it not just functional. It's still got to be aesthetically pleasing. It's got to be exciting. Yeah. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, I, I hope we can motivate uh, some of these uh, millennials that you have to drive. I mean, that's the, you know, that's another question is do they want to drive? Do they not? Um, you know. I like driving. I think it's fun, and there's, you know, that, but, you know, w- you know, will the younger generation want to just sit in a car and go somewhere, or they want to drive? Will it be as exciting well, for them? I think, I think there's room for everybody, you know. Horses didn't go away just because uh, cars came out. So, you know, it may be a point where it's we're... It's been a while since I saw a horseless care. I mean, a, uh, a, you know... A, yeah, a, I mean, they're not average like transportation, <laughs> but, you know. You know, well, depending upon what part of the country you're in. Yep, that's true. If that's you're, true. you're rural Pennsylvania, you see a lot of horses on the road. Yeah, Ohio and a little bit of Michigan, too, you see that. Oh, I didn't know Michigan had that population as well. But, you know, I saw some of the, I, I saw a, uh, you know, one of the uh, uh, the Mennonite uh, carriages, uh, and I noticed that the lights in back were LED. <laughs> so, I, you know, I just thought that was kind of, you know. I wonder if they're solar powered, too. Uh, could be. Maybe that's maybe that's a loophole there, but progress is progress. Right? Absolutely. All right, Dan. Well, I don't want to take up any more of your time. You're very gracious coming back again. I really enjoy having you on every year and catching up on uh, some of the new product offerings. And uh, of course, Rambo.com, right? That's right. And uh, all right, that wraps up uh, this episode of Hooniverse for SEMA 2018. Once again, thanks to Magnaflow for hosting us here. Uh, it's a great little stage setup we got, and we get the private studio in the back and. Uh, I'm sure we'll be back next year. So uh, we'll book this again. Thanks for the invitation. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks.